Good morning, church. It's great to see all of you here today and also wanted to say Happy New Year. Thank you, children. Um, They understand this more than the adults, I think. Um, Yeah, so it's weird because Christians are weird for a lot of reasons uh, and have always been out of sync with the world a little bit. And one of the ways that Christians for the last couple thousand years have really been weird is that we live by a different calendar. Um, This is the calendar we use here at 3rd. It's a calendar that instead of following the traditional pattern that begins with January 1st, we begin with today, the first Sunday of Advent the first Sunday of a new year. And you might think this is weird that we would follow and order our lives around a different set of seasons and events, but honestly, you do this too. It's just a matter of what calendar you're going to choose to follow. What set of events are you going to arrange your life around? Are you going to begin your year with, you know, the party on January 1st uh, and then Valentine's Day and then spring break and summer break and then Black Friday and Cyber Monday and Christmas craziness? Is that how you're going to order and arrange your life around such things? Or are you going to choose to order your life around a different story? The story of Jesus, the story of his anticipation and incarnation and crucifixion and resurrection and ascension. So we're choosing to order our life around a different story. And it puts us out of step. And you feel that in Advent, because here we are. It's, you know, the world around us is amping up, right? Tinsel, red and green, Christmas carols, all the rest. But here we are, draped in purple, anticipating the the coming Messiah King, waiting for him. We've got, um, you know, instead of greenery, we have these dead branches and dead trees reminding us that the world is deeply broken. We are deeply broken. And we're waiting for the king who came to come again. And so we're out of step, but it's good. Because we're waiting for the one who comes. So over the next uh, few weeks in Advent and then into Christmas, we're going to do this series that we're calling Dwell. Because what this Advent remembers and what Christmas celebrates is the incarnation. This is the great truth of the Christian faith, that God became flesh. And this is such an enormous truth that it truly would take weeks, months, even a lifetime to plumb the depths of the ocean that the incarnation is. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take one verse, John 1, 14. The word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We're going to take this one verse and we're going to take it phrase by phrase and go deep into it the next few weeks and see what God will show us about the incarnation and what it means for our life today, okay? So we're going to start with the first phrase, the word became flesh. All of you should have this verse memorized by the end of this month, okay? All of you. So let's pray, and then we'll read God's word. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit, who helps us to not just understand, but to change and to respond and to live differently around Jesus, our Savior. And we pray now that your Holy Spirit would help me and would help all of us so that we would not just hear your word today, but we could respond to it with obedience and love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to just read the first few verses of John 1, um, and then I'll read verse 14. So hear God's word, friends. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. What would you die for? What would you give your life for? What would you fight even to death for? Once upon a time, a long time ago, there was a wee little man, not Zacchaeus, another wee little man, named Athanasius. Athanasius. Athanasius was Egyptian. He was a monk. And he gave his life to battle over a single letter, the letter I. Specifically, he fought against the inclusion of this letter I in this long and complicated word, homoousias. Okay, we're going to learn a little Latin today, friends. Okay, homoousias. Athanasius lived in a time. I'll tell you what this means in just a moment. Athanasius lived in a time where there was a lot of debate going on in the early church about what they believed. And in his time, there was the most popular preacher. His name was Arius, okay? He was super popular. He had like a million followers on Twitter. His face was everywhere. Everybody listened to this guy. And Arius taught that Jesus of Nazareth was like God and was very similar to God, but he was not actually God himself. He taught that he was homoi, like usias, substance. He was of like substance with the Father. That's what Arius taught. Athanasius, though, said, no, he is not homoi usias. He said, get that I out of that word. He said, he, Jesus is homoousias, which means of same substance with the Father. He said that, that Jesus is actually the second person of the Trinity, the divine Son of God, who actually became flesh and in no way diminished the fullness of his Godhead. That's what the incarnation is. It is God becoming carne, flesh. You've had chili con carne, you know, chili with meat. The incarnation is God con carne, God with meat. God with flesh, that in the person of Jesus, he in no way diminished his divinity by becoming human, but he was 100% God and 100% man. Don't ask me to explain this, because I can't. Nobody agreed with Athanasius. Arius was so popular. He was so handsome. He was so persuasive. He was such a good uh, rhetorician that no one believed Athanasius, but Athanasius wouldn't give up. He kept fighting to take out the eye, and he was ridiculed, he was mocked, he was beaten, he was imprisoned, he was exiled, he was tortured, and he was nearly executed, but he would not stop fighting against the eye. And in the end, he won. He won. The church believed him. 
And the church said, yes, he's right. That this man, Jesus, is actually of same substance with the Father. And friends, if it were not for Athanasius and his tenacity, none of us would be here today. In fact, on his gravestone, it just says this one thing. It says, Athanasius contra mundum. Athanasius against the world. He's like my hero. If I had a son, I'd name him Athanasius. You know, we got a dog. I wanted to name him Athanasius. My family said no. So it's his secret middle name, Leo Athanasius. Whitmer, that's our dog's name. Um, why was this deal? Why? Why did Athanasius almost die for the litter I? Why? Because he knew that everything depended on this. That everything depended on this. If, that if, there, if that I stayed, if he was homoousios, if he was of similar substance to the Father, but not actually God himself, this whole thing is a ruse. All of Christianity falls apart. The gospel falls apart. None of it makes sense. And you guys should go home right now. But if it's true, if he is homoousios, if he is of the same substance with the Father, then what that means is everything's changed. The incarnation is the grand miracle on which all other miracles depend. God became flesh. So what I want to do today is just, we don't have much, we can't obviously cover the whole incarnation in just a few minutes. So I want to cover some of the big themes that we'll be looking at together this month as we explore the depths of the incarnation. And I want to look at how the incarnation changes everything, past, present, and future. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to cover all of history. Okay? First, we're going to look at how the incarnation changes the past because God became flesh. He came in the flesh. Second, we're going to look at how the incarnation changes the present because God now currently shares our flesh. And we're also going to look at how the incarnation changes the future because God will redeem our flesh. God, through the incarnation, changed the present, changes the, changed the past, changes the present, will change the future. Okay? Are you with me? With me, church? Okay. And I especially want to say this. If you're not a Christian or if you're, if you're not even sure what you believe, this is a great day to listen, okay? Because all of Christianity hangs on whether Christmas is true. So let's do this, okay? So first, the past. God came in the flesh. We have a really big problem. You have a really big problem. And no, I have not been reading your emails. Um, I just, you know, all of you have problems. Um, I have problems. But what the Bible teaches is that there is a deeper problem behind your biggest problems, that there is a deeper wound behind your deepest wound. And what that problem is, is your separation from God. That's what the Bible teaches. In fact, if you go back and read the first few chapters of Genesis, you'll see that um, it wasn't always this way, that God made humanity to live in perfect relationship with him. He made humans to live in a intimate, forever relationship of love with the God who made them. That's what it means to flourish as a human being. But what happened was, is that humans rejected God. They turned away from God, and they attempted to live life without God. And if you are honest with yourself, you know that this is what you do too. <laughs> live life without God. And what happens, the Bible says, is, that's what the Bible calls sin, is that it puts up a wall between you and God. A barrier of sorts. You know this. Whenever you're in a human relationship and one person hurts another in the relationship, a wall goes up, doesn't it? A separation occurs between the two people, and that will remain there until someone does something about it. And that's what the Bible says sin has done. It's put up a wall, a barrier, an impenetrable slab between you and God, and you can't get through. And I think you probably know this deep down, even if you're not a Christian. 
you know, you look out on the world, you see the pain, you see the brutality, you see death, you see illness, you see sorrow, you see terror, and you know deep down this is not the way the world is supposed to be. We all know that this is not the way the world is supposed to be. My question is, how do you know that? How do you know that this is not the way the world's supposed to be? In fact, if all our world is, is a cosmic accident, this is exactly the way the world should be. Full of chaos, death, and meaninglessness, right? But you know that's not true. You know that this is not the way the world is supposed to be. That there is such a thing as beauty and justice, truth and love. You know those are things are true. Why? Because you know there is something beyond the wall. There's someone beyond the wall who can bring meaning to our current reality, but you can't get through. And this is why what John writes in John 1 is so revolutionary. Put it, let me put it this way. All religion is essentially an attempt of humans to get through the wall. All religion is an attempt of humans to get through the wall and to get to God. So a prophet, you know, a teacher, a sage comes to you and says, here's what you need to do to get through the wall to God. Pray this way, read this special book, practice this set of practices, you know, employ these meditation techniques, and you will break through the wall and get to God. That's what religion is. It is man's attempt to get through the wall to God. But John then comes along and he says, no, the incarnation is that God became flesh. The incarnation is not that man tries to get to God, but that God has moved heaven and earth to get to you. He's actually punched a hole through the slap, through the bear that divided heaven and earth, and he has come to find us, to dwell with us, to claim us, to make himself known he became flesh. And friends, do you see why this is such good news? I mean, religion says you got to break through to God. The incarnation says God broke through to you. Religion says here's what you must do. The incarnation says here's what God has done. Religion says work real hard. Incarnation says rest in grace because God has broken through to get you. You don't have to make your way to God anymore because God has made his way to you. Friends, this is good news. This is grace, right? I mean, I I was at a dinner, I was at a uh, cocktail party the other night. Uh, It was one of those really kind of awkward parties where the adults don't really know what to say to each other. And so men always ask each other their professions. So I end up these all these endless awkward conversations when I say, oh yeah, I'm a pastor. And they say, why? You know? (laughs) And uh, and in one of these conversations, um, the guy said, you know, that's wonderful. I, I don't, I don't really, what I really believe is that everybody just needs to try to be a good person. And you know, I, what I thought about it, I said, you know, that, what a terrible way to live. That itself is a religion. It's a religion that says that I actually can live a good enough life, that I don't need anybody to do anything for me because I can actually pull myself together and live the kind of life I'm called to live. And what a terrible existence because you will either be fearful and insecure on the one hand because you can't live a good enough life or you will be prideful and disdainful of other people because you actually think that you have. And who wants to live a life on a pendulum swinging back between insecurity and pride? I don't. So get off it. Believe in the incarnation. Believe in grace. Believe in the good news that you don't have to try to work your way up to God anymore by being good. The good news is you don't have to be good because God has worked his way to you. That is the good news of Christmas. And if Christmas is just a silly myth about angels and shepherds and straw and a baby, then it is up to you. Good luck with that. But if it's true, if it's homoousios, 
if the Son is of one substance with the Father in Jesus Christ as God made flesh, then you can be saved by grace. Because he's come and he's accomplished and he's lived and he's died and he's risen and all is done and it's a free gift of grace. Thanks be to God, right? So that's why the incarnation changes the past because God has entered into history and has been made flesh to accomplish our salvation for us. Alexander Schmemann, the great uh, Orthodox theologian, says the incarnation is the end of religion. Because where religion is about man's attempt to get to God, the incarnation says, you just can't. God has stopped us nothing to get to you. Praise be to God. So that's the, that's the past. The present, though, how does the incarnation change the present? Have you seen the movie Wonder yet? Have you seen it? I know some of you kids have read the book. A lot of you guys have read it in school. Oh, my gosh. Bring a box of tissues. It's amazing. Um, at the very end of the movie, kids, do you remember what the precept was at the very end of the movie that Augie said at the very end of the movie? This is what he said. He said, be kind. I'll make sure I get it right. Be kind because everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. Be kind because every single person that you meet is fighting a hard battle. And I know that's true. I hear about a lot of those battles as a pastor. Y'all, it's hard to be human. It's just hard. And I don't care how rich you are, how much money you have, how much power you have. It is a hard thing to be a human in this twisted and dark world that we live in. And you might even be saying to yourself, okay, pastor, I hear this good news about God coming and you know, becoming flesh in the past, but I got to live today. I got to live in, the, in this suffering body. I got to live with these pains and sorrows today. Well, let me tell you, friends, the incarnation is not just good news about the past. It is good news about the present because it is the news that God has actually sharing your flesh. He has radically identified himself with your suffering human body. And not only that, he actually currently shares it, that Jesus Christ, who is now ascended at the right hand of the Father, continues to live in a body every bit as human as your own. God knows what it's like to be you. You ever thought about that? Um, my friend Suzanne Stabile um, is, a, is a counselor, and she has a friend who's a teacher in Dallas, and this friend works with kids um, who have severe visual impairments. They have a really hard time seeing. And one day, uh, an optician said to her, you know, I, I think I could help you out here. I can make some glasses, some glasses that the parents of these children can put on so that it actually, uh, so that they can see the way their children see. It will distort their vision in the same way that their own children's vision is distorted. And so the teacher said, that sounds like a great idea. So the optician made these glasses, and the day came, and, 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 and there were 19 kids and their parents in this classroom, and the glasses were handed out, and one by one, the moms and dads put these glasses on, and they just began to weep. Because they suddenly knew, this is what it's like to be my kid. And the kids began to weep. Because he said that he knows now what it's like to be me. They felt known. They felt understood. And friends, that's the incarnation. God has put the glasses of his kids. He's taken on. Not, he's radically identified with our humanity. Not just putting on our glasses. Putting on our very flesh. And this radically changes our present experience of living in a suffering human body. In a suffering world. 
Why? Well, think of how many times when people suffer, they feel like God is far away. God is distant. God, God is far from their experience of pain. But if this is true, it means that God knows what it's like to be you. Are you poor and broke? So is he. Are, are, are you struggling in the edge of poverty? In and out of homelessness? So is he. Are, have you been abandoned or betrayed by the people that you love most? So is he. Do you struggle with anxiety and, and fear? Do sometimes you feel like your heart's going to break? So did he. Do sometimes things seem so horrible and dark that you actually think that God has abandoned you? So did he. Are you facing a brutal and painful death? So did he. Do you see, friends? God knows what it's like to be you. And this, you know, what does this do? It doesn't, it doesn't save you from your problems. It doesn't make your pain disappear. But I, I think this is what it does, is it gives you the one thing that you actually really need. You don't need answers. You need the presence of God. You need a God with wounds. And Christianity is the only religion that gives you a God with wounds. A God who bears your flesh. A God who knows what it's like to be you and not only identifies himself with your pain, but actually gives you his spirit to live victoriously within the suffering and pain that you endure. I don't know about you, but I've seen enough pain and suffering that I, I, don't even, I would not even believe in God were it not for the incarnation, were it not for a God who bears our wounds. And that's what you get. A God con carne, God with flesh on, who gives you comfort and power to endure through this suffering world in a body. Okay? So that's what the incarnation does for the present. We've seen what the incarnation does in the past. And finally, how does the incarnation change the future? There is an old building in Churchill that I have passed for many, many years. Uh, it's on Venable Street. I pass it all the time. And for about a decade, this is what the building looked like. Um, it was a terrible eyesore, boarded up. There was a fire at one point, so there's charred everywhere. Um, grass and bushes are really high, drug paraphernalia everywhere, graffiti all over the walls. Uh, and, and, and this is really the kicker, is that r- there's a sign, the name of the building, which is posted right above the door, which you can't see in this picture, but you can get up close and see it. The name of this building is the Citadel of Hope. <laughs> the Citadel of Hope. And for me, over a decade of just passing this, this building, you know, sometimes twice a day, it became a symbol to me of our neighborhood, became a symbol to me of the world that we live in. Yeah, hope. It's more like a mockery of hope, right? I mean, every Christmas we sing these songs, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Look at the world. Look at the warring. Look at the factions. Look at the, I mean, just look at what happened this past year, friends. Look at the way that we as a human civilization are destroying each other. This is a mockery of hope. That's what this is. And one day, some artists got together, and they decided to do something. And uh, so they, they took those, those panels that cover the windows, and they began to paint. And they painted these beautiful murals. And, and the building suddenly became this art display. And suddenly, people began paying attention to this building. Someone came and cut all the grass. 
Someone came and painted over the graffiti. Uh, people stopped doing illegal activities in, in around this building. It caught the attention of Better Housing Coalition, who bought this building and who are currently renovating it to be an apartment complex of affordable housing for our neighborhood. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. Beauty broke through. Beauty broke through. And now the whole block's being renewed. And friends, to me, that is a beautiful image of the incarnation, that in a world where all hope is lost and where death and greed and injustice and sorrow and terror reign, beauty has broken in. God became flesh. And, and it isn't overnight. He isn't just kind of transforming the world and completely making everything good again. It isn't overnight. But just like this building, it's the first sign of the renewal of all things. It's the first brushstroke of beauty that God is in the business of restoring and renewing all of creation. William Temple once said, Christianity is the most materialistic of all religions. The most materialistic. And what he meant by that is that most religions, what they are hoping for in eternity is a rescue from the physical material realm. You know, Islam anticipates a heavenly paradise. Buddhism teaches an, an extinguishment of the soul from the the physical reality. But what Christianity hopes for is a renewed physical material creation, a brand new flesh, brand new bodies, brand new earth. We, we, we do not long for heaven, friends. We long for the day that the wall between heaven and earth will be taken down as we pray every week, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we anticipate. And that's what Jesus now promises a renewal of all things. That the one who came in a body will come again in that same body. And for all those who trust in him, he will renew their bodies and he will indeed renew the body of this old world. That's the promise of the incarnation. This is an amazing hope, friends. And that's what we wait for. Yeah, you can clap for that. That's good. Yeah, that's what we, that's what we, friends, this is what we wait for in Advent, okay? In the season of waiting. We're waiting, just like that building, you know, you pass by and you see some signs of beauty, but you, hold, you see a whole sign, a lot of signs of depravity as well. We wait. We wait. And what this means is that Christians are the people who hope no matter what. Christians are the most hopeful people on the planet. I don't care how messed up your life is. I don't care how messed up your marriage is. I don't care how messed up your kids are. I don't care how messed up your neighborhood is. I don't care how messed up the world is. Christians are people who never, ever, ever lose hope because if the incarnation is true, anything can happen. If the incarnation is true, then we persevere. We keep on fighting for our marriages. We keep fighting against our own sin. We keep uh, battling for, for grace and truth and beauty. Uh, we keep working for the reconciliation of divided peoples. We keep persevering, following Jesus in a world where the odds seem really against us. Why? Because we know that this world is moving and it is not moving towards death. It is moving towards renewal because Jesus's body stands as a pledge of a renewed creation. Just as his body is made new, so your body in him will be made new, so the whole world will be made new when he comes again. We wait for that. So friends, do you see, we've covered all of history in the last 20 minutes. We've looked at the past, how the incarnation Change the past, that because God broke through, you can be saved by grace. You don't have to work your way to God anymore. God worked his way to you. 
Believe that. Because of the incarnation, it changes your present. You're no longer alone. You have a God who has radically identified with you, taken on the suffering of your own human experience, and now shares it with you. And because of the incarnation, the future is changed. We know that Jesus comes again. Hope and renewal are not a possibility. They are reality. Our king is on the way. So can you see why he fought for the eye? Can you see why you must fight for the eye? Athanasius gave everything for it. Friends, will you give everything for it too? Will you fight for the eye in your own life? Will you hold on to this great truth that at Christmas the word became flesh? Will you believe in grace? Will you not lose heart? Will you persevere in hope? Because God became flesh. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, that the word... Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, your eternally begotten Son, the one who was with you and the one who shares your substance, came in the power of the Holy Spirit to break through all that separated us and to save us and to bring us home. Thank you that our relationship and our fellowship with you is forever restored because of the incarnation. Thank you that Jesus came to, to, to live and to die and to rise again. And that it is because of what he did that we can be saved. So as we come to this table, we pray that we would now meditate on these great truths. And that we would see that all that Jesus has done for us and we would freshly receive his grace. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.